I am directing you to the book of Zechariah, Old Testament. If you can find the Gospels of Matthew, if you can find the Gospel of Matthew, flip back a few pages, and you will come to the book of Zechariah. I want to read from Zechariah chapter 1, beginning with verse 2, and you're hearing this morning. The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. Therefore say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Be you not as your fathers, unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings. But they did not hear, nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants the prophets, did they not take hold of your fathers? And they returned and said, Like as the Lord of hosts talked to do and us, according to our ways and according to our doings, so hath he dealt with us. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, right now we come together. We are grateful. We are thankful to you. You have your hand on the great state of affairs of this world, on your church, on our lives. And I thank you for it. I thank you that you are a personal prayer answering God and that you speak to us and touch us, O oh Lord God, and that you make us to know you're real in our lives. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Greet some folks as you're being seated. Welcome them to the house of God. It is very warm up here. I know that you out there are probably suffering from the cold. I wish we could find a way to get some of those vents to blow up here. So we're suffering from the heat. <laughs> Maybe we're just working hard. Who knows? Praise God. You may have noticed that our big hickory tree has had a, uh, uh, a catastrophe has occurred. And it's split in half, and half of it is laying across the back side of the shed back there and across the, the back bridge walkway over to the playground. So we're asking parents, please instruct your children to avoid that passageway. Do not walk under that limb. It's very, very heavy. It's half the tree. It's very heavy. Do not walk under the limb. Do not play near it. We are going to get it taken care of, but it's going to be uh, a job. It'll take us a, a while to get that done. So please instruct your children to avoid the vicinity of that broken tree. My thought for your consideration this morning, pursued by the word of the Lord. And today I want to bring you a message of hope for the church we may not be all that we should be, but we are destined to become more than we have ever been. I want to say that again. We may not be all that we should be, but we are destined to become more than we have ever been. Oh, let's give God a praise. For us today. I have a message even for you as an individual. 
God can fix any problem, restore any relationship, solve any conundrum, heal any illness, cure any disease, satisfy any complaint, justify any soul, redeem any sinner, cast out any devil, overcome any trial, lift any burden, open any prison, soothe any heartache. There's nothing he cannot do if we'll let him do it. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. I want to read that text of scripture again, but this time from a modern translation, the contemporary English version. And it says, Israel, I, the Lord all-powerful, was very angry with your ancestors, but if you people, everybody turn to your name and say, you people. If you people, if you people will return to me, I will turn and help you. Don't be stubborn like your ancestors. Don't be stubborn like the people that came here before you. Don't be stubborn like the troublemakers who are no longer here today. They were warned by the earlier prophets to give up their evil and turn back to me, but they paid no attention. Where are they now? Where are your ancestors now? Not even the prophets live forever. But my warnings and my thoughts spoken by the prophets caught up with your ancestors. So they turned back to me and said, Lord all-powerful, you punished us for our sins just as you had planned. But my warnings and my words caught up with your ancestors. We are being pursued by many things. We have an adversary that pursues us daily and tries to trap us and trick us. There are our own spirits that pursue us, hell hounds of temptation, weakness in the flesh that haunt our tracks and pursue us, past addictions, past sins, past thoughts, past emotions, past feelings. Amen. That are on our trail trying to bring us back into addiction, to bondage, and to slavery. And despite all of these things that come after us and want to take hold of us, there is yet something that is pursuing us greater and more powerful than any of these things. The word of the Lord spoken in times past has pursued me. Hallelujah. I was raised in Pentecost, but I slipped away and fell into sin. But all the while I was out in the world, the Lord was on my trail, and the word of the Lord was pursuing me and calling to me. And in the night I would hear it call to me, why don't you get over it and go back to church? Why don't you give it up to God and, and go back? Make your way back to the Oh, But the devil would be there to whisper, but the saints won't accept you. They won't forgive you. They won't have mercy on you. They won't take you back. But the Lord whispered in the other ear, Oh, try and see. Taste and see if the Lord is not good. Try and see if you won't find mercy in the house of God. Hallelujah. I am glad that the Lord never gave up on me. 
There were times I was willing to give up on God. Times I thought I was ready to give up on God and not trust Him any longer and walk in my own way. But just when it seemed like that I was about to make that decision to slip away from God, something pursued me. Amen. Something caught my attention and got my heart. A word from God came. It might have been from a message that I just heard preached. Amen. That kept me in the church one more time, one more week, one more year. Or it might have been something from my past. Amen. That had been stored up in my soul. Amen. That was there that says, but do you really want to do that? Do you really want to think that God is not bigger than all of this other stuff? How can you let go of him now when he's been so good to you in the past? And the word of God will pursue you and haunt you and come after you all the days of your life. Thank God for that. Pursued by the word of the Lord. Hallelujah. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 29 and 11, speaking for the Lord, he said, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. How many of you have dreams and hopes and desires that you want to see from God in your life? You, you believe, you stepped out in faith, you pursued that dream, it hasn't happened yet. And sometimes it may seem as far from you as it can ever be. And sometimes it may seem there is no hope it, that it should be impossible that you should have that dream or vision come ever to pass in your life. Hallelujah. But God says, you don't know how I think about you. Hallelujah. You, you may be ready to give up on me. You may be ready to toss the towel in, but you don't know how I think about you. You don't know that I'm thinking about you all the time. And my thoughts are not evil toward you. You may have slipped up and messed up, but I haven't, I haven't thrown you out. I'm not going to throw you out. I'm not going to end you or kill you or destroy you. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm not trying to punish you, and I don't even want to make an example of you. I want to save you. I want to bring you back. I want to restore you. You don't even know how I think about you. Even when we are angry, even when we are in despair and discouragement, even when the demons of depression speak to us. I want to get us to break our relationship off with the Lord. He is thinking thoughts of peace toward us and not of evil. And to give you and to bring to you the expected end. To give you what you thought you could get from me to bring it about everything that you hoped and planned and dreamed and expected and believed of me capable to do I am thinking that way toward you I desire to give you the desires of your heart hallelujah Zechariah is a prophet of, of uh, graphic uh, pictures and descriptions and understanding some people are what he would call a a graphic mathematician. I'm one of those people. I need to see the picture. Some people are graphic learners. They, they, they freeze when they're faced with words. They just freeze. They get a mental block and they, they can't get it. They can't read and get the word and understand it. But you show them a simple illustration and a simple picture 
and they, they know right what to do with it. I, I just recently uh, got a Mac computer. I've never owned one before. And uh, so it's a, it's a mystery to learn how to, to operate on it, uh, you know, from having been used to, you know, the Windows platform, the PC. Uh, and so I went to the bookstore and I bought it, I looked through the books. I thought I would get the book called um, Mac for Dummies, you know. I mean, they got a book for dummies for everything you want to think of. Whatever it is you want to learn, they got a book for dummies for that. And I thought, well, that'd be my place to go. I'm going to go get Mac for Dummies. I began to pick it up and look through it, and there was all these words, 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 words. And I looked over there, and then I saw this other one that said OS, uh, OS for, for Mavericks. And I looked through that, and it's picture after picture after picture. It's screenshot after screenshot after screenshot. A very simple little one, two, three, four steps to do. Click, click, click. This is what's going to look like. I thought, wow, this is great, fabulous. I'm not going to have to, I'm not going to have to, you know, stay up all night and sweat over what this is trying to tell me. I just look at the picture and do it. This is great. And so some people are, you know, they're graphic learners. And if you put a picture in front of them, you give them a, a, a DVD or something that they can watch to see how to do something, they'll just take right off and go with it. Uh, and, and Zachariah apparently was uh, uh, that kind of a prophet. He was that kind of a man. And, and, and God's manner of speaking to him was very, very picturesque, very graphic. He sees images, and they're symbolic of something, and there's a meaning to it. I, I noticed in my own, in my own life when the, when the spirit of prophecy is coming on me, oftentimes, especially on the first Wednesdays of the, of the month when we have prayer, prayer and fast, a lot of times I will see things mentally and pictures, images will come to me and immediately the understanding of what it is God is trying to show me will come to me and it's, it's, it's happened a lot. And uh, I may not say, you know, thus says the Lord, you know, or give a message in tongues interpretation, but I see it and then I can speak out what I saw very similar to what Zechariah did when he saw these images and spoke out what it was that God was trying to reveal to him. And so uh, this, was the, this is the picture of what this book is like. And, and uh, when we come to chapter 3, we have come to four such visions. And these are visions concerning restoration. All of these have to do with a new thing God is doing, a spirit of God moving in a new way. Things that had been were no longer going to be. The way things had been in the past, you could just put it in the history books and write it off because it was not going to be the same anymore. In the past, they had had Egypt and Moses to lead them out of Egypt. In the past, they had had judges uh, to lead and guide them. In the past, they had had kings to lead and guide them. Uh, but uh, uh, in the past, they had backslidden and failed over and over again. And in the past, God had used a Babylon, Babylonian, uh, the empire of Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar to, to discipline his people and to reprove them. In the past, the prophets had preached to them and given them messages of warning and messages of dire destruction that were going to come their way. But that was all in the past. Everything from this point forward would be something new. God's got four horsemen and they're riding off in every direction and they're checking things out in all the four corners of the earth and they're bringing new spirits. Amen. And a new anointing is coming and God is raising up a new thing and it'll be 
be a new day and it'll be a great day and God will restore the worship that, that once was given to him in his house. Oh, hallelujah. We've had 114 years of latter-day reign. We've had 114 years of being used to Pentecost and tongues as the sign of the utterance of the Holy Spirit in somebody's life. But where are the days where you had the Azusa Street-like revivals, where the church went on seven days a week, 24 hours a day it was open and there was always something going on. If there wasn't a service, there was a prayer meeting. People came from all over the world to get the Holy Ghost and take it back to their places of ministry and preach it there. Where are those days of apostolic healings and anointings? Amen. We've, we've, we've had a glorious past, but it doesn't seem like that we live in that past. It doesn't seem like we enjoy all of those things that are part of our heritage. But I believe that God wants to shake things up, shake the church up, and bring us to a place Hallelujah, a new place with a fresh anointing, a new spirit, and power from God like we've not seen in a long time. Where are the days when the prayer rooms shook with prayer going up? I can remember when you came to church and prayed half hour, 40 minutes before service, and it was a rocking prayer meeting. I mean, you didn't want to leave to even start service. We would have church and the service would go sometimes three and a half hours. It would just extend out because the Holy Ghost would fall and move. Hallelujah. Those were the good old days. Hallelujah. But God is wanting to tell us that I can do more. I can do bigger. I can do better than anything you've ever seen. is able to deal with your addictions that have bound you for years and that you've not been able to get free of. God is able to do it. He's able to release you. Amen. If you will give up to God and surrender to God and quit arguing with Him and quit fighting with Him and come and repent and throw yourself upon Him and say, God, with your help every day, day by day, I will be free. I will be free. You cannot have addiction live side by side with the Holy Spirit and have authority over the enemy. You cannot do it. You cannot smoke. You cannot uh, be drunken. You cannot do drugs. You cannot do these things. You cannot be addicted to things that will destroy your soul and have authority over Satan. Hallelujah. But God wants to do new things. And so he was talking about this restoration of the temple. It was a new day. Babylonian captivity was over. Amen. God had sent new kings, new empires, had managed the global affairs of politics so that a king could come on a throne with a new empire and a new dominion that would set his people free and let them return back to Jerusalem. And it wouldn't be even that they would have a choice. The king would drive them there. The king would say, look, you, 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 you go. You don't have a choice. Go back to Jerusalem. Build the temple of the old days where your fathers used to worship. Go back, build up the house where your ancestors prayed and pray for me and my kingdom and peace on my kingdom. Offer sacrifices to your God and ask him uh, to help me to stay on the throne and to keep peace in my kingdom. That's what I want you to do. Go back and do it. God is able to reverse everything, turn everything around, make every impossibility become possible. There's nothing he cannot do. 
Hallelujah, hallelujah. So we see in this text, in uh, Joshua chapter 3, 1 through 6, we see that uh, here the Jews are in preparation to restore the temple of worship. And, and even today, even today in our modern times, the Orthodox Jews in Israel are preparing to restore the temple. They are working hard to bring all the elements together to have temple sacrifice again. They intend to offer the morning and evening sacrifice. The lambs will once again be slain and the blood will be sprinkled upon the brazen altar. And once again, the high priest wearing his holy garments will bear the blood into the holiest of holies on the day of atonement. They're planning that. They are preparing for that. The, the, there's a school there that has studied and they have, they have manufactured the priestly garments based upon the, the patterns that were given to God uh, uh, to Moses by God on Mount Sinai. They have, they have re manufactured the priestly garments. They have made an, an altar and they practice on that altar uh, for blood sacrifice. They have prepared a cornerstone for the temple. And a few years ago, while Ariel Sharon was still alive in the early 2000s, that group brought that, that cornerstone toward the temple mount and was stopped by the rioting of the Palestinians. It was a huge upset there. People were killed over it. And bullets were fired and rocks were thrown. And it was a, it was a huge undertaking there. And the, and the cornerstone is still standing there where the procession dropped it. It's still there. And someday it is going to go all the way to where it needs to be to start that temple. They're preparing. Part of their preparation is the search for the ashes of the red heifer. You may have heard teaching and preaching prophecies on it. They are looking for the ashes of the red heifer because in the Old Testament time, when Moses was building everything for the tabernacle, in order to get everything sanctified and set off, they had to find a red heifer that didn't have any blemish on it, entirely red, and to, to sacrifice that heifer and burn that heifer, burn that animal upon the sacrifice and collect the ashes. The ashes were to be co collected and preserved forever, for as long as they could be preserved. And they would be, uh, any time that purification, ritual purification, serious purification needed to happen, they would take some of those ashes and, and mix it with some water and sprinkle that water on the priest, on the person, on the object, whatever it was that needed to be sanctified or consecrated to God. Why a red heifer? Well, a red heifer is like a genetic anomaly. It's an extremely, extremely rare event to find a heifer come out, just be all, all red in their hair and their coloring. And if there is one white hair in the midst of all that, and they are looking at, they've got farms where they are raising these cattle. And uh, they've talked to Texas ranchers in the United States who are uh, raising red heifers. And they'll come over and they'll go over that animal with a magnifying glass. And if they find one white hair, that animal is disqualified and cannot be accepted. So they have not found a modern red heifer that they can actually use, but there's an active search for it. Why? 
because before any of the stuff they're building and making could actually be used in worship, it has to be purified with the ashes of a red heifer and sanctified so that it can now be used from God. Not only are they looking for a modern uh, 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 animal that they could use, but they are looking for the ancient ashes of the red heifer. The archaeologists of Israel are searching because they know that back in the day in 70 AD when Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans and the temple was burned to the ground, that there was a reserve of ashes of a red heifer somewhere in a receptacle. And those priests surely must have put it away and secreted it away. In fact, they have found in Israel copper scrolls inscribed with Hebrew in Hebrew that have listings of various temple treasures that had been in the temple and were hidden away at the time the Romans were invading Jerusalem. And, and among that list is the ashes of the red heifer. Archaeologists are searching for it. If, they, if the Jews could obtain even that vessel with the, with the dust from ancient times of the ashes in there, they would have to look no further and they could get everything started. It was about purifying and making holy so God could come in the house and could begin to bless the people and use them. God is not looking for anything but holy worship. The Father is looking for people who worship him in spirit and in truth. Hallelujah. He doesn't want unholy worship. He wants holy worship that is given to God. He would that men would lift up holy hands everywhere without wrath or doubting. He would that God's women would adorn themselves with the meek, the apparel, the ornaments of meekness and a quiet spirit and come before the Lord, not being not, not usurping their authority over man, but, but rather submitted ultimately to God and showing that outward submission even in their hairdressing as men do in their hairdressing as well. All of these things are for other times and other subjects, but here was the high priest of the time. Joshua, Joshua, another reading of that is Yeshua, Yeshua, the same name as Jesus. It's archetypical here. He would be the high priest of that time. <coughs> Pardon me. <coughs> he was the high priest of a broken down temple. He was the shepherd of a scattered flock. He was a priest contaminated and spoiled by the impurities of his life and the circumstances of his life and his world and his age. Nothing was as it should have been. Nothing was right. But God will have his way and he will have his day and he will have his will in this earth, whether we think it possible or not. And so I read again from the modern translation here in uh, Zechariah 3, 1 through 6. I was given another vision. This time Joshua, the high priest, was standing in front of the Lord's angel. And there was Satan standing at Joshua's right side, ready to accuse him. But the Lord said, Satan, you are wrong. Jerusalem is my chosen city, and this man was rescued like a stick from a flaming fire. Joshua's clothes were filthy, 
So the angel told some of the people to remove Joshua's filthy clothes. And then he said to Joshua, This means you are forgiven. Now I will dress you in priestly clothes. I spoke up and said, Also put a clean priestly turban on his head. Then they dressed him in, a priest, in priestly clothes and put the turban on him while the Lord's angel stood there watching. After this, the angel encouraged Joshua by telling him that the Lord all-powerful, what the Lord all-powerful had promised. So here is again this wonderful picture, symbolic image. He saw the man who was to be the priest, who, who was to, to step up, to fulfill the role. He was not in a condition where he could minister. He, he was in a condition where, <clears throat> had he gone into the holiest of holies, he, he would have died. He would have been smitten down. He was not at all prepared to do something bigger from God. Sometimes we find ourselves in circumstances that are less than spiritually desirable and applicable. There's, there's not a minister who has a call of God on their life, who hasn't learned in time to be instant in season and out of season. Preach the word, Paul said. Be instant in season and out of season. Right, Brother Heller? Sometimes you come to this pulpit, you just had a big spat, and you've just shown your ugly flesh, and your family knows it sitting out there. And you got to stand up here and you've got to minister and be all spiritual. And your family knows the real deal. My wife knows the real me. Hallelujah. She knows the unspiritual me. Hallelujah. But there is that need that must be fulfilled. It's the calling. The calling comes ahead of the man. The calling is superior to the man. And the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. The Bible says it like this concerning the ministry. No man takes the priesthood or the ministry to himself. Not lightly, but he who is ordained of God to the ministry. Somebody said, well, I'm called to preach. Who called you? How do we know you're called to preach? The call to preach needs to be recognized. By the laying on the hands of the presbytery. It needs to be recognized in an ordination where other people recognize and know that you have been set apart to be used of God. And so these people that appoint themselves to the ministry and run around and call themselves evangelists and, and uh, hold meetings and no one has laid hands on them. No one has recognized their authority. No one has set them apart. Just themselves. We have to take it on their word. I've had, I've had guys come in here, amen, and, and, and want me to move over and give them my pulpit. I don't know them from Adam. Well, I'm an evangelist. I'm a prophet. I'm a preacher. I'm going to come in here and preach. No, you're not. You're going to come in here and sit and listen to some preaching. Hallelujah. Praise God. So it's not something that you take upon yourself. It's something that God sets apart. And the calling is without repentance. And the calling is higher than the man or woman that it is on. It is higher. It is bigger than they are. And that's why that, that we call that pastor, pastor, 
or that minister, reverend. That's why we do. They are human just like you are, but they have that on them that is bigger than they are. It is bigger than they are. God can have plans for you and for us than, that are bigger than where we are at. They are bigger than where I am right now. They are bigger than, than you sitting in a dark place somewhere in the ashes of humility and defeat and brokenness. They are bigger than the sin that may have taken you uh, unawares. They are bigger than the, that moment of, of humanity that overcame you. They are bigger than all of that. God has bigger plans for this church and for us and for his people. So here, he says there was Satan standing on Joshua's right side, ready to accuse him. The, the word Satan means adversary. An adversary is an opponent. It's somebody who is against you, always against you. Your adversary wants you hurt. Your adversary wants calamity upon you. Your adversary wants you to be destroyed. Your adversary wants you to be discomfited. Your adversary wants you to be put down. Your adversary wants to rise up above you and mock you and, and be higher than you. Your adversary is like a Haman to a Mordecai. And they want what's worse for you to come to pass. Satan is our adversary. He is not our friend. Satan is not your friend. He may give you things, but he does not do it out of friendship. And there's no gift from Satan worth taking that does not have a string attached, which is why Jesus would take none of Satan's ideas and suggestions because they had strings attached to them. Somebody said, well, I don't want to be under God's dominion. I don't want to give myself, I don't want to surrender to God because, and then, you know, God's got strings attached to everything. Well, you're going to have to choose which string is going to pull you in which direction. You're going to have to choose. Hallelujah. I'd rather have God's string attached to me any day than the devil's. Hallelujah. And so we are puppets on the string. Pawns on the chessboard. We are soldiers on the battlefield. And it just depends on what side of the battle line you're going to be on. Nobody is in no man's land. Nobody is independent of it all. No one operates in a separate area where none of these things exist or matter. Oh, that God should give us eyes to see how it really is. As Zechariah could see... He could look and see. There was the man of God. And he was called of God, but he wasn't worthy to do the calling. And Satan was standing there by him, ready to accuse him. The Bible says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren, who accuses them before God day and night. Satan's always ready to accuse you. And when we walk around feeling accused by the devil, do we feel victory? Do we feel like we can lift our hands up in, in victory? Do we feel like we can raise our voice in the shout of praise when we're being accused by Satan? When Satan is over us, accusing us, do we feel like we can be soul winners, Bible teachers, preachers, 
pastor's wives? Do we feel like we can be anything good at all when Satan is accusing us? No. When he's accusing us and we feel the effect of that accusing, we are relegated to some spiritual dark place, a corner where we cannot be used of God. But that is not how God sees us. It's not how God sees us. But the Lord said, Satan, you were wrong. Jerusalem is my chosen city, and this man was rescued like a stick from a flaming fire. Hallelujah. And the King James Version calls that a brand from the burning. Rescued like a brand from the burning. I see the last weekend, 4th of July, Ron and Jimmy and the boys came over, and we had a cookout. And, as, and toward the, end of the evening, we... We got a fire going in the fire pit, and uh, we were going to make some s'more. So, so the boys were all given these long marshmallow spits, sticks to, to roast their marshmallows on, and everything was going everything was going fine until they discovered that it was more fun to catch the end of the stick on fire and wave it around than it was, you know. So. Well, Gideon was okay. He had enough experience to realize, you know, you've got to be careful with that. But Gabe, different story with Gabe. He did not have any experience with fire and to know how dangerous and, you know. And so it was really cool to get that stick burning and, and then wave it around and, and, and wave the flame out and then have those wonderful smoke rings, you know, going around in the air. That was really cool. But, but Gabe was just was waving it everywhere, right in front of everybody's face, eyes, everything, you know. And, and I kept speaking to him. I kept cracking him. I said, no, you've got to be careful. And he just didn't get it. He didn't get it. He didn't understand. And finally, I got a little hard with him and told him, no, Gabe, and took the stick away from him. He said, no, you cannot do that. And he pouted and he cried. He was so offended that Pa yelled at him because he, he didn't understand. That was a brand from the burning. Back in the day, and they still do it, I think, the cowboys would put brands in the fire, you know, and they'd brand their cattle. It'd be an iron rod with a with a insignia on the end of it, and they'd heat that up and stick it on the cow hide, and it would burn permanently a mark in the cow. And they'd call that brand. The reason why they call that brand is because when you put a long stick in the fire and poke around in the fire with it, you know, and burn the end of it and pull it out, that is a brand. That long stick is a brand. So a branding iron is like a long stick you put in the fire until it gets hot. So thus a branding iron. But really those sticks you play with and poke the fire with are called brands. And here Zechariah sees this man, this appointed man of God, plucked from the fire like a brand from the burning. Here he was burning up a stick to be used for kindling, a stick to just be played with and toyed with by the devil and burn. Here, I'm going to stick you in the fire and burn you a little more. I'm going to stick you in some sin and burn you a little more. I'm going to get you hooked on this and burn you a little more. I'm going to get you messed up with this and burn you a little more. And Satan all the time digging around in the fires of hell, playing with you, poking you in there, burning you a little more. And God said, that's enough devil. That's my boy. I'm taking him out of there. I'm pulling him out of the fire. I don't care if he's got some charcoal on him. I don't care if he sins with the smoke of hell. I don't care if he's been burned a little by the world and by sin. I'm stopping it all right here. I'm rescuing him. I'm pulling him out of the fire. I'm going to save this piece of wood. I'm going to save it, and I'm going to do something great with it. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. 
struck like a brand from the burning. Hallelujah. And while Zechariah was seeing all that, he said, that's how the Lord called it. He said, the Lord said, you're wrong, Satan. You're wrong. Jerusalem is my chosen city. Free Spirit Fellowship is my church. It's where I put my name and my people. This is my house of worship. It's not the devil's house. Satan ain't going to get it. He might get in here, but he's not going to stay in here. I'm casting him out in Jesus' name. Listen, saints, don't bring the devil to church. Don't bring satanic attitudes to church. Don't bring a spirit in here that breaks the unity between you and the man of God and the people of God, the woman of God, and the people of God. Don't do it. Don't do it because if you do, you're bringing the devil in here. Don't do it. Amen. Stay focused and united. And I'm going to talk to you about the power of unity here. Hallelujah. While Zechariah was looking at all that, he said, Look, put the, high pre- put the turban of the high priest's office on his head. That was a hat that only the, the priest wore. Only the priest could wear it. And the high priest hat was different from all the others. But the thing about the priestly turban was that there was a plaque on the forehead. And it said, Holiness unto the Lord. God put it right on the head, from the head down, that anointing, holiness to the Lord. Zechariah said, go ahead and put the priestly turban on him. And so his dirty clothes were stripped off of him, and the priest's garments that were clean and fresh were put on him. And the turban, like Zechariah said, was put on, he was topped off and ready to go. Topped off and ready to go. He had it all that he needed. And God said, Satan, he's not the man you had. He's not the man you thought he was. He's not the man that was. It's not about the past. This is my man. I pulled him out of the fire and I'm going to use him. Hallelujah. Our garments were spotted by sin. Yet one by one, God rescues us like brands from the burning fire. And says, "Uh uh-uh, not this boy, not this girl. I got bigger things, bigger plans for them than where they are. Jesus said in Luke 10, 19, he said, Behold, I give unto you power to tread upon serpents and on scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. I give you power over serpents and scorpions. And the power of the enemy will not hurt you. Hallelujah. The enemy has power. And it was said of Christ that the serpent would bruise his heel. But he would have the ultimate say in the matter. Because he would bruise the head of the serpent. Hallelujah. The serpent might bite him in the heel, but the same foot the serpent bit will smash the head of the serpent and get victory over him. Hallelujah. God has made it so that that one creature that he made would be put under the foot of another creature that he made. Now, Satan wants to go about getting everything that belongs to God. 
he has temporary possession and dominion of the earth. And he gets human souls in his power. And if he can keep them until they die, he will keep them for eternity. But it was never God's intention that we should die and be lost with Satan. Satan has a fate. And it is a predestination from which there is no appeal. There is no turning. He will be bound for eternity in the lake of fire, the bottomless pit. He'll never be able to get out when his final day of reckoning comes. That is his destination. He is nothing but a creation of God. He is a creature of God. You and I are creatures of God. And we might have been made lesser than an angel. We might have been a lesser form of his creation than Satan and the angels of which he is numbered. But we are no less a creature of God than Satan is a creature of God. Satan wants to confuse humanity and get them to not recognize the creator so that they will worship the creature rather than the creator. He wants to get them to worship the creature instead of the creator. Every bit of idolatry of ancient times, all of those idols that had strange images and faces and wings and shapes and all kinds of mixed up animals and humans and everything, were all creatures. They were creatures and mankind, the creature of God, bowed down to worship. And he worshiped the sun, the moon, and the stars that were created of God. And he worshiped the rocks, and he worshiped trees, and he worshiped idols of wood and silver and brass and gold. Hallelujah. But he didn't worship God. And all of it was Satan getting what he wanted was to be worshipped as a creature. To be worshipped as if he were God. But he's not God. He's just a creature. And it's an example of the arrogance of the creature. The arrogance of the creature to be self-lifted up. The arrogance of the creature to think that they are better than other creatures. Better than, have you ever been around somebody you just knew in a heartbeat they thought they were better than you? Treated you like you were nothing? You know? And everything revolved around them and they were the big two dots, the, the big line butters, you know, that think they're, they should be there ahead of you. That's just their right, that's just their, their prerogative. To be all that, I'm all that, they're nothing but a creature. And it's the arrogance of a creature to lift itself up and to assume that other people should submit to that and to that will. But God wants to break that creatureness out of us and turn us into something greater than a creature, something between a, an animal and an angel that he called a man. And when he made Adam, Adam was perfect. Amen. He was perfect in every respect. And everything was right. But when he failed God, when he lifted himself up as Satan wanted him to, and when we lift ourselves up over the will of God, amen, and we begin at that point to worship a creature and not the creator. The devil is happy when we don't do anything in a worship service. He's happy when we don't do anything in a prayer meeting. He's happy when we come to church and are members of a church and don't do anything in the church. He's happy. He's happy because he is taking something that belongs to God. 
And you may not think you're serving the devil. But if Jesus had accepted any of the invitations of Satan in the wilderness, would he not have been serving the devil? Even while feeding his belly with bread, his belly that was justifiably hungry and that he had every right to eat and fill, even if he had filled his belly and taken care of himself and his flesh and preserved his flesh, you would have thought he was serving himself. He would have been serving Satan because he would have been doing anything the devil wanted him to do. And he was smart enough to know that only the will of God in heaven is the thing that we should serve. Hallelujah. So Satan wants to turn us into lower creatures that serve a creature. But this interesting, these words in the Greek text about power, they're two different words. Behold, I give you power. The first word is from the Greek word exousia, which means authority. This is not muscle power, but this is authority power. Some people have power because they have authority. The President of the United States has power because of the authority of his office. And if anyone in America that had a need could get to spend a half hour with the President of the United States, they would want the President of the United States to use his authority like magic to fix their problem. And all he would have to do is pick up his pen or phone and he could make it happen for him. Because he has the authority, the kind of power that is authority. The other word for power, over all the power of the enemy, is from the Greek word dunamis, from which we get the modern word dynamite, or power. We think of that word as power, raw power. In, in, in reality, ability, ability. So what Jesus is saying to you, I am giving you authority over the serpents and scorpions and over all of the ability of the enemy. I am giving you authority over Satan's ability. I am giving you authority over Satan's ability. Satan may be able to do certain things. He could pull some strings in our lives and make some things happen. He has abilities. It's undeniable that Satan has abilities. He can manage things. He can make things happen. He can do things against us. But Jesus said, I'm giving you authority over his ability. And if Satan is able to make the house fall down on Job's seven children and kill them all, yet... Job had something with God that he did not surrender to the devil. That at the end of the day won him back many times more over than everything that he had lost. Satan did not render to, uh, Job did not render to Satan what was God's due. And his wife says, curse God and die. Go ahead and get it over with. Curse God and die. And he said, no, I can't curse God. God has blessed me. I came into this world without anything. I'll go out the same way. Everything I ever had, God gave me. Why would I curse him? I had nothing. He gave me something. If he takes it away, I'm not going to have it in the end anyway. I will not let go of God. Job refused to give up his dominion authority. Now let me show you something about dominion. Adam had dominion over creation. 
Here was a creature made by God. He was weaker than the creature that came slinking into the garden in a snakeskin. But he had dominion over everything. It was his. He was the Lord of creation. And he was perfect. Creation was perfect. Everything as it should have been. But when Satan sinned, he lost dominion. He gave up dominion. And sin is essentially agreeing with a rebellious creature about the reality and identity and purposes of God for humanity. When we backslide away from God, we have agreed with a creature who's tricked us, seduced us, beguiled us, enticed us, offered us glittering, wonderful things if we'll give up living for God and start serving ourselves. We have agreed with Satan that it isn't worth living for God, not worth keeping the Holy Ghost, not worth keeping my relationship with God, not worth staying in the church. I'm going to give it up. I'm tossing it away. And we backslide and we go back out into that world of sin. And we find that we're no happier. The, the morning after blues are always there waiting for you. The morning after. I no doubt I'm talking to people who, who know very well what I mean when I say you had morning after regrets for something you did you knew you shouldn't have done. And they're always going to be there. No matter how you may feel about that sin going into it, the reality is that when you've done it and come out on the other side, it's awful and terrible. Thank God we're always going to be pursued by the word of God. Some sermon you heard in the past when you were still living for God in the church. Some, some doctrine you were taught as a child and it was instilled in you. Thus says the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. This is black and white in God's word. This is right and this is wrong. And it was there. And you went out and you broke the word. And you went out and you did your own thing. Hallelujah. But you were pursued by the word. And it came back after you. Because God said I've got bigger things for you. Than where you are right now. Let's stand together. I'm getting ready to close. Hallelujah. When when Adam agreed with Eve to sin, everything changed. Have you ever given any thought to what might have happened had Adam refused to sin? Had Adam disagreed with Eve? If Adam had said, no, Eve, I can't do that, God said, no, I'm not going to do it, and he never did it. Have you ever given any thought to what might have been, to what might have happened? Would we be where we are today if Adam had not sinned? I tell you, we wouldn't be. I tell you, the world would have remained the same. I tell you that Eve very possibly could have been redeemed by her high priest husband and brought back into relationship with God. As long as Adam had retained relationship with God, Eve may have been saved because she was beguiled. But sin, the Bible tells us, is reckoned in Adam, not Eve. It began with Adam, not Eve. It wasn't until Adam ate the fruit 
that they both had their eyes opened and realized they were naked. It began with Adam. Had Adam refused to sin, we wouldn't be where we are today in the trouble we are. Eve may have been redeemed and saved. Humanity would be in a different place. But he lost dominion when he united in agreement. Jesus says, if two or three be gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. If any two or three of you pray together and agree on anything, it shall be given to you. There is power in unity. There is spiritual power in unity. A church that is united and at one and at peace with one another and gets along with one another is a church that has spiritual authority and dominion. And their services rock with the power of God. And Satan's scared to go to church, to that church. But if he can get in a church and split people up and divide them and separate them from the sheep from the shepherd, amen, and the, and the goats from the lambs and separate them and get people clicked off and separated off and bundled up together and having their own little problems here and here and here, it breaks the dominion of that church and the authority is gone. It melts away. Hallelujah. Jesus said, I am going to give you authority over Satan's ability. And that's his will today, is to give us authority over ability. Hallelujah. Giving place to the devil. The Bible talks about neither give place to the devil. When we give place to the devil, it's, it's we let a little something sinful coexist with the Holy Ghost. We let a little sin in with the Holy Ghost. We try to keep that sin. We try to live for God at the same time. We're giving place to the devil. We're allowing Satan to have some room there. When we do that, we're agreeing with the devil about that. And we have lost our authority. We get our authority back when we break fellowship with Satan. We get our authority back when we kick the devil out and say, Satan, no, 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 no. You're out of here. I'm not listening to you. I'm not listening to you. I'm going to that altar. I'm going to get covered by the blood. I'm going to get my heart right. I'm going to get my spirit right. I'm going to get my attitude right. Everything is going to be right. I'm going to be humble. I'm going to be so humble I squeak. I'm going to be so humble I squeak. Hallelujah. I'm going to be squeaky clean. For the Lord. Hallelujah. I, 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 you know, don't think this is strange, but you may, but I'm going to kind of just kind of think this is a sign. That tree that's standing out there, that's probably 150 years old. That hickory tree out there broke this week. It just broke. Nobody knows how it broke. Wind, lightning, we don't know how it broke, but it broke. And the life of that tree is going to be ended. It's diseased. It broke because it's diseased. And we're going to have to take it down. And it's going to be gone. I don't know what went on here on this property 150 years ago. I know there was a battle right over here at this house. And people were probably killed right over here and all up and down this area. I don't know what's going on over the years and centuries in this area. But I do know spirits hang out in places. They've been known to hang out in rocks, prominently featured rocks. And people have gone there to worship spirits that are in the rocks. They, they've been known to hang out in the rivers. The Indians that 
used to occupy Tennessee, thought of the Tennessee River. They call it the singing water. And they thought that a woman, a young woman, lived in the river and sang to them. And that, uh, you know, when they were driven away from Tennessee to Oklahoma and settled on reservations, none of the rivers there sang. And only the one in Tennessee sang. Trees have been known to harbor spirits. Oh yeah, oh yeah. The worst case scenario is when they get in a soul and possess a human. But they can possess animals. They can possess objects. They can possess homes. Spirits can hang out in homes and houses. We call them haunted. They're not haunted. They're residences of evil spirits. Gideon had to cut down his father's grove of trees because they worshiped spirits in those trees. The Druids used to worship spirits in trees. I'm just saying, it, it may not be, but what if that is a sign to this church that I am breaking authority over spirits that have attacked this church and ministry for years, and this is gonna be a new day for us and new things are going to happen not saying that's what is but I wonder if it isn't a sign from God a graphic picture of something taking place spiritually even if that isn't I still believe the word of the Lord for us today hallelujah that there is a word of God for us today hallelujah that God will break things that need to be broken so he can take this church to the next dimension. I probably shouldn't say this, but I, I will. I'm not naming any names, but I have a friend in the ministry pastoring a church, and he's had a recent church split. And there's been some trouble going on there, resistance to his ministry and his authority, serious, serious resistance, and people are leaving the church. They're running off with ex -UPC, ex, an ex-UPC pastor, who, who, who himself ran away in rebellion and is in rebellion to authority in his life. And they're submitting themselves to a rebel and leaving a true man of God who has served them selflessly as a real shepherd should all of the years of their life. They are leaving and going elsewhere in different places. And that church has done well. It's, been, it's done well. It's grown. It's been a great church. It's been a great church. But that church got, it was stuck for years in a place where there wasn't anything new happening since that event and I and and I'll tell you I know two of my friends both of them are telling me the same story since those events have taken place and they've had people break away from them resisting the authority of the pastor since then there have been revivals new people getting the Holy Ghost two and three people getting the Holy Ghost and baptized in the service, where before years had gone by and only an occasional somebody would be saved. A breakthrough is taking place. Now you can be part of the solution or you could be part of the problem. But if I were you, I would avoid, I would avoid the disunity that comes against authority. Because that authority doesn't come from a man. It comes from a man and a woman of God. And if anybody wants to slam your pastor, your pastor's wife to you, 
You need to get away from them as far and fast as you can. But before you do, give them a good righteous dose of Holy Ghost, uh, your mind, a Holy Ghost mind. Tell them what you think and then get away from them. And say, look, I'm not letting this set here. My pastor is going to know about this. He's going to know. We, I, I was approached years ago. I was a young preacher. I was assistant pastor in the church. We were in a building program. That church was in revival. We were having a growth. But there was a large family in that church. And this is no reflection on anybody here. Don't read between the lines. I'm, I don't know anything. I know nothing. I, I don't know nothing. <laughs> I'm just saying. There was a large family in that church. They had multiple married siblings and, and, and families there. And a lot of money came into the church through them. And so they kind of thought that because they were a big deal and had all this money coming in and were carpenters and, and laborers and workers and builders of the church, construction workers and stuff, that they should just run things. And uh, they, the patriarch of that family came to me one Sunday. I'll never forget. I can close my eyes right now and see myself standing there in the parking lot and him talking to me. And he respected me greatly. They used to call me the, the boy in the, in the green suit because I only had one suit. It was an olive green suit. So I was a preaching boy. They respected me, called me the boy in the green suit. He came to me and started in on me about the pastor. He got into it a couple of sentences, and I knew where I could see where he was going with that. And I, said, I told him, listen, I said, look, brother. I said, look, you know, I respect you, but that's the man of God. He's my pastor, and he's your pastor. And I'm not hearing this. I'm not listening to this. And I'm also letting you know that I'm going to be talking to him about this conversation. He didn't turn on me. He didn't hate me. He respected me even more. But neither he nor anyone from his entire family ever again said anything negative to me about the man of God. I saved myself. In time, that shepherd turned out to be a bad dude. And God took him out. God took care of him. But I did not lift my hand against him. Even when God was judging him, I did not lift my hand against him. When other ministers came to me and talked to me about him, I did not smite him or lift my hand against him. He had been anointed. That was God's business to deal with. And God dealt with it. Be a part of the solution. Don't get caught up in shipwreck. And we together will have authority over Satan's ability. Now that could be a little policewoman out there that's pulling that hell's angel over on that motorbike. She don't have the power to do nothing to him. But when he sees those flashing lights and that badge, he had better stop because even though she can't physically overpower him, she has authority to speak to him. You and I cannot physically combat the devil. We can't fight him with the flesh. You will not solve your spiritual problems by talking about them to other people and trying to find a solution and getting counsel from this one and that one and everybody else. You're not going to solve your spiritual problems that way. You're going to solve them by submitting to the Word and submitting to the Holy Ghost and submitting to the Bible and prayer. Prayer, amen, and fasting is how you're going to solve your spiritual problem. It's the only way forward, amen. Amen, give it to God and let Him deal with it. Stop trying to fix everything yourself. And if you do, you'll be able to step back and say to the devil, look, devil, I recognize you have power. 
You can hurt me if you want to. And if God lets you, you could throw me in the fiery furnace. And I would be burned up unless God stops that from happening. You can have the power to do it. But you don't own me. You don't own me. You don't own me. You do not have authority over me. Only God has authority over me. If he decides to let you take me out, that's his call. But I don't listen to you, devil. I listen to God. Let's worship God in song. The altar is open for prayer. I've preached to you a camp meeting message. Come on now, let's let's worship. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen.